Uh, and right now we're in a series uh, talking about the coming kingdom, that, that Jesus came to pronounce, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Right? And, and so we know the gospel. We can recite the gospel. Uh, most of you are members, and when you filled out your membership application, right, there, one of the sections was, what is the gospel in your own words? And if you're a member, you said something to the effect of, I was lost and broken and sinful, and Jesus died for me. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to save the lost. Uh, that because I have faith in Jesus and not in myself, not in my own works, but rather the perfect work and life and death and resurrection and ascension and coming, the impending return of Jesus, because of that, I have hope for eternity. My relationship with God was severed, and now God has reunited us through Jesus, right? We say something to that effect. The gospel is good news that Jesus saves sinners. Uh, and that is absolutely right. And at the same time, when Jesus comes, uh, the, 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 the authors of the gospel use this term. They say he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he did. He came just like John the Baptist saying the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. John said, repent. This is good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom coming. And remember, we, we read just a few weeks ago, we walked through the Lord's Prayer. And we said that those first two phrases, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where not only sort of the thesis for what he was going to pray next, like it was, it was his prayer, his hope, and his mission was to see the kingdom come and the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've been spending and we're going to spend the next several weeks looking through, breaking down the Lord's Prayer piece by piece and seeing, all right, well, what is it that the kingdom of God looks like and what would it look like for us to be a church who brings in, who ushers in, who is a part of, of building God's kingdom here in D.C. as it is in heaven. And so we broke through the different sections, right? Uh, give us this day our daily bread. This is where we are now. Last week we spoke about hunger and how the gospel of the kingdom is a gospel of the end of hunger. And we as God's people proclaim gospel truth by feeding the poor along with gospel proclamation. And so we feed the hungry because we know that there is a king who's coming who will end hunger. And we feed the hungry because in feeding the hungry, we're able to say, here, take this bread, but know that there's bread of life. His name is Jesus. And as you eat of him, you will never grow hungry again. And so we, we said, all right, in its most direct sense, when, the, when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, the most obvious and direct meaning is give us food to eat. But at the same time, daily bread means so much more than that. He doesn't say, give us a storehouse full of food. He says, give us our daily bread. Give us the very thing that we need in this moment so that every moment by moment we're dependent on you. And at the same time, you need bread to live. You need food to live. And so we're saying that not only does he mean food, he means all of the things that we need right, are captured in that daily bread. Give us the things we need to live. Food, clothing, shelter, water, relationship. 
And so this week we're actually talking about one of those things. We're continuing. What does it look like for the kingdom, in the kingdom of God for us to receive our daily bread? And what we're actually talking about is, is um, so if you, in this text, Jesus says in this final judgment, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And we're gonna, I want to hit on that. This idea of I was a stranger and you welcomed me. This idea of being welcoming to strangers. Ultimately, when I was breaking down the series, I was thinking, what are the ways that we can serve people in our city and the very obvious needs that they have, right? There's, there's, there are hungry people in our city. There's a need to feed the hungry in our city. And as you look at stranger, the stranger, right, like they're people who come in who are not like us, but who need to be welcomed in. And also, in a sense, they're people, a stranger in a land, right? An alien in a land is someone without a sense of place or home. As we're breaking through this text, I was thinking about the homeless and how do we as a people care for the homeless? What would it look like to, to bring um, the kingdom of heaven in, to bear in the life of those who are just like us, but who have no place to home and so that's what this week is really about and and church family like this is something that I really want us to think through right each of these topics that we're talking about over the course of this summer are not merely theological things that we're meant to think about only and 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 to grow in sort of some sort of knowledge and understanding of the depths and the truths of God but but they're actually they're their rubber meets the road what will it look like for Union Church to be successful in D.C. And, in, and, and to God's call for us here in D.C.? Right? And, and I think that so often in our, in our Western um, empirical uh, world, we define the success of a church in terms of numbers, numbers of attenders, number of members, number of conversions and baptisms, and, and we want to see all of those things here, but we forget that Jesus called us to, to a specific mission, and part of what we want to be is a successful church. For us to be successful to the goals that I believe that God's called us to, and that we've agreed that God's called us to, uh, we have to care for those who are hurting and broken and in need. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to show, uh, just, just first here, I want to show us that this is not divorced from theology or from the gospel, but that this is the outworking of right theology and a right understanding of the gospel. And so what I want to do is give us a biblical theology of home. I, I want us to see why to, to the king it was so important that we welcomed in the stranger, that we gave a sense of home to the homeless. Right? And in doing so, th look, there, 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 there's actually a lot of benefits of this. And I'll, I'll be really honest. Right, When this part of the series, when we talk about feeding the hungry, when we talk about caring for and providing shelter for the homeless, when we talk about caring for and loving and being merciful, uh, showing justice to the poor, what's really easy to do is to other. Do you, you know what I mean? To, uh, like, so we talk about the home. We talk about them. There's us and there's them, and we have and they don't, and we're here to provide them with all the things that they, 
they need but can't do for themselves. So there's us up here, there's them, and we condescend. What is that? That's, that's a savior complex. Right? We, we, when we other people in that regard, we, we, we treat ourselves like God, like Jesus, who's condescending to give people who don't have what they need what they need by our grace. And what I want to do in, in creating sort of this biblical, and we're going to have to, we're doing this quick because we spent a lot more time on prayer, which I'm actually really thankful for. Um, <clears throat> I want to create a biblical theology of home and then explain how homelessness fits into it. Right? And so we're just going to look from, from Genesis to Revelation and, and get an understanding of home, how it fits into the kingdom, which is why it's so important to the king, and then how that leads us to love and care for in a very theological, uh, evangelical sort of way for the homeless. And so to, 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 to start, we have to go right to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Right? And so these, these two chapters are, are, are stories of creation. Genesis 1, we see God as king, king who decrees and, and commands. He establishes for himself a kingdom. And in days 1 through 6, well, days 1 through 5, really, um, uh, God creates for himself a kingdom. Uh, if you've ever read through it, uh, you, you may have seen this before, but uh, there's a symmetry to the creation story in Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, on day 1, what does he create? Talk to me. What does he create? Or what does he separate, we should say? Light and dark. Separates and he calls them. He names them. He separates and names them. So he separates light from the dark. He calls the light day, the dark night. All right? So that's day 1. Day 2, what does he do? He separates what? The, the waters above from the waters below, right? From and above, the waters below. He creates essentially the sky and the seas, right? Day three, what does he do? You have a cheat sheet if you... Day three, he separates the waters from the land, and he lets vegetation sprout up on the land. Right, so land masses and, and uh, from the waters. So day one, day and night, day two, sky and sea, day three, land. He creates them, he separates them, he forms them, he fashions them. All right, so day one, if you don't know this, it corresponds with day four. On day four, what does he create? The sun, moon, and the stars to populate the day and the night that he's, already, he's just created in day one. Right? In day five, what does he create? The birds of the sky and all the fish of the sea. Right? That corresponds with day two, where he separates the skies from the sea. Right? He forms it, he fills it. Day one, he forms. Day four, he fills. Day two, he forms. Day five, he fills. Uh, day three, he forms the continents, the land. Day six, what does he do? He creates all the creepy, crawly things that we like to step on or run away from the slithering things, us, people. He sets the stage, he creates this world, and then he creates people and places them in it. Genesis 2 is a little similar. God creates this garden, and he fills it with all the things that people need to thrive and enjoy life. 
then, when he's done creating this garden, he places his man in it. Places Adam in it. Right? So in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we get these stories of God as king, establishing his kingdom. This is what the Psalms tell us. But at the same time, God is establishing a place for his people. So our understanding of home comes straight from Genesis 1 and 2. God creates a home for his people. You were created for a sense of home. And in this home, there was meant to be a lot of things, right? And I love the way Genesis 2 talks about he creates all the fruits and the plants that are good to eat and beautiful to look at. So all your needs are sustained by what God creates. And also there's pleasure and joy. This is home. And then at the same time, Genesis 2 is where we get that wonderful parade of animals. And, and Adam names it. And then Adam realizes there's not an animal that is like me. And God says it's not right for man to be alone. So he creates woman from Adam's rib, right? Adam from the dirt, woman from the man, right? This is their names. I feel like we should all just be that comfortable in naming like our children. No more creative names, just from the dirt, from, from the man. That's what, that's what God does, right? But, but what is he? There's companionship, there's relationship, there's all of our needs met, there's pleasure, and there's God. He's there with them. This is home. Right? God created us for home. All people are created with this, this sense of desire for home, for belonging, for a place. And, and, and so what happens in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve sin. They eat, from the, they eat the fruit that God says not to. And what is part of their punishment? Part of their punishment is they're banished from the garden, right? That's, that's the last thing. So God gives them this curse. He curses uh, Eve and says, you're going to have pain and childbearing. He curses Adam. The ground's going to work against you. He curses uh, the serpent, the beast. He says, you're going to roam around on your belly and... Ultimately, through the curse of the woman comes the promise that I'm going to crush your head. You're going to bruise the offspring of the woman's heel, but he's going to crush your head, right? So you know this, Genesis 3, this curse, but we move to the end of Genesis 3, and what happens? They're banished. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim than a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There's a lot of things that you can talk about there, but what you need to understand is this home that God carefully and intentionally and specifically and lovingly crafted for his people they are now banished from. Adam and Eve go from having a place to not having a place. And this theme comes up over and over again. God calls a man named Abram, right? Changes his name to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And Abraham, all the way through Moses, right? These people, well, so Abraham goes into the land. Uh, and, and, and Joseph, they come out of the land. They're in slavery in Egypt, right? But God is saying to Abraham, I'm promising you a place for your people, a home. Right, God is promising Abraham a home. And then when he uses Moses to free 
the people of God, when he uses Moses to free the Israelites, where is he sending them? To the land, to their home. And so he sends them to their home. And the home is where he's with them, right? The temple. You think about the tabernacle and the temple. The home is where there's this community and it's flowing with milk and honey. All their needs that they, they have are met, right? So God sends the Israelite people into Israel, right? The Hebrew people, the Hebrew nation to, to his land for them. Home. But again, we see the brokenness of sin always, always, always disconnects us from a sense of home. And in this case, it's physical as Israel goes into captivity, right? And I want you to hear Ezekiel 36, right? There, this is, we're just walking through this and then we're just going to make some points. And I know it's like, okay, what does this have to do with homelessness? We'll get there. Just, just trust me on this. Run with me for a little bit. So Ezekiel 36, they're, they're, in, the, they're in captivity, and God makes this promise to them. And part of the promise that he says is, <coughs> I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, I know that there's a lot of geopolitical conflict that comes from how people determine what God means there. But it's the very bottom of it, at least it means no less than this. What God is promising is, I will take you from a place that is not your home. I will take you from this land where you are exiles and captives and outsiders and strangers, and I will bring you into a place that you can call your land, your home. So God creates us with the sense of home. Sin breaks that. We no longer have a home or even a sense of home. This is part of how Paul describes lostness. Right? The Israelite people become this sort of picture of like God wants his people to have a home. Their sin breaks them from that home. They're pulled from that home. Still, God promises that one day he will gather his people and give them a home. And so then here comes Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He's with us. He's with his people. He's with his disciples. He's gathering them. He's talking about this kingdom that they're going to be citizens of. They are all starting to feel it. As you read through the Gospels, you, you have this sense of home. And then Jesus says, actually, but I'm going to leave here. But what does he say next? He says, but if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back and bring you back with me. You'll eat with me and you'll be with me. Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a home for you. I'm preparing a home for you. Jesus comes in and he redeems and restores our understanding of home. Who our people are, where our place is. And all of a sudden, as followers of Jesus, we realize that we have a home in heaven with Jesus because of the work that he's done. And all of a sudden, that shifts our understanding of home, right? So if you are from middle America, the Midwest, and you grew up in a house that your parents grew up in, right, and their parents, like, built it, right? That's, your, that's home until you meet Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there's this real and true sense that this place was never home. It was never home. 
you have this sense that, that Peter gives us. We'll, we'll actually hear, hear this again in a little bit, but that Peter gives us when he writes his epistle, the very first letter that Peter writes, this is how he starts it out. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And so some of these people for generations have lived in Galatia, have lived in this region, and he's saying, in Christ, you still don't have a full sense of home because this world was never meant to be your home. And so we spend a lot of, right, we spend a lot of time as people pursuing this God-given desire for a home by putting down roots, right? Isn't that always the question, like, well, what are you going to do? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to put down roots? When are you going to create for yourself home? Why is it our desire to create for ourselves home? Because God has put it in us, and because nothing in this world can satisfy that longing for home. Only the Spirit of God working in us through the work of Jesus Christ and trusting and believing in that promise that we will be home. And then all of a sudden we get to Genesis or we get to Revelation 21, 22. There's a beautiful picture of the city of God the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. There's no hunger, there's no thirsting, there's no weeping. God is with his people. It's this recreation, this perfecting of the Garden of Eden in a sense. It's this re-understanding, repurposing of Jerusalem. That's what's called the new Jerusalem. God in Revelation says, she gives us this picture, gives John this picture of us at home. So there's this trajectory. We were home. Sin breaks us from home. Jesus comes to redeem our understanding of home. And Jesus will come to take us home. Do you see this? Like this biblical narrative of home. Right? And some call it the land or, or from garden to city. But all these things are the Bible. One big story. One work showing us God's redemptive plan to bring us home. To give us a sense of belonging and home. In First in Peter, he later says, in, in uh, First Peter 2, I think it's 10 or 11, he says, at one time you were not a people, but now you are a people. And in that is this idea of home, right? So God cares deeply about home. And as such, we need to, and he has a particular compassion towards the exile, the stranger, the homeless. So should we. If this, is the, if this is the trajectory, if this is the picture that God has given us of home, then we cannot, we cannot neglect homelessness. Right? Does it make sense even a little bit more now why the king is so angry that they would not bring in the, the stranger, that they did not give shelter to the homeless? Or does it begin to make sense? We can't neglect this if we understand this, if we believe this, right? Part of the judgment is not simply because of an action, but because of what that action reveals. Remember when we went through the Lord's Prayer and we said, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And what we were saying is, well, salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? And the grace alone through, in Christ alone. Right? Let me start that over. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Right? And at the same time, it seems like a conditional statement. In so much as we forgive others, forgive us. 
What did we say Jesus was doing? Jesus was explaining to us that your understanding of forgiveness is demonstrated by your willingness and capacity to forgive. If you are unable to forgive a little debt, it means that you have not fully realized and believed and accepted your utter desperation and dependence on the forgiveness of God. Which means you haven't come asking for forgiveness. Right? It's a reflection of a state that already is. So it's not forgive away so that God is compelled to forgive you. It's be so forgiven, be so aware of your forgiveness that you cannot help but forgive. And in the same way, this isn't, there isn't a quota of homeless people that you need to give shelter to that you're going to get into heaven. It's this understanding that if you know the gospel deeply and well and believe it, that it will compel you to do this. And if you're not compelled to do this, then the depth of your understanding of the gospel is in question. Do you see the difference? But it's, it's, it's nuanced, but it's important. And so Jesus is saying, if you understand the gospel, you will care for the homeless. So let me, let me put this negatively. Let me talk about it in terms of neglecting the homeless. So the first thing is, if, to neglect the homeless is to neglect the king. If you can neglect the homeless, then you, you're neglecting the king. Right? So Jesus says it pretty frankly, as you did unto them, so you did unto me. But I think there's another way that we need to understand this too, right? In Luke 9, in Luke 9, people are like, all right, well, we want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. What do we need to do to follow you, Jesus? And Jesus' answer in Luke 9 is this. Birds have nests, foxes have den. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you hear what Jesus, ultimately what Jesus is saying is if you're not willing to give up everything, then please don't come follow me. Right? You're just going you're gonna, to you're gonna walk away disappointed. But there's something else going on there. Jesus is saying, my identity is homeless. Jesus became homeless so that we would have a sense of home. But Jesus was homeless, which means if you neglect the homeless, literally you neglect him. If you step over the homeless with no sense of compassion, you will have had no inclination to follow Jesus. Do you see that? He identifies with the homeless because he himself was homeless. To neglect homelessness is to neglect King Jesus. To neglect homelessness is to deny your state in sin. When you neglect the homeless, you deny the fact that you yourself are homeless, that you are wandering, that you are passing through, that you are an exile like we talked about. The elect exile of the dispersion. What he's saying is none of us are home until we are home with him. And if we deny that fact, if we deny that fact, we will always lean on our own devices. We will always become complacent. Our evangelism will always suffer. I've seen that in my own life. I share the gospel less the more I feel at home. Because what I don't want to disturb is that sense of home. But when I realize that I'm only here for a blip, and this place is not my home, it's not anybody else's home, and my desire is to see as many people come to my, my pop's crib, so to speak, when that last trumpet blows. My evangelism is directly affected by my sense of home 
complacency. When we identify the wrong home, our priorities are wrong. I'm thankful that God placed me in this city and in this country in this time. Right? I love America. I pray for the prosperity of America in accordance with Jeremiah. I pray for the peace of America because God has called me to. I pray for the rulers of America because I love this country and I know that the things that happen up top affect those who are down low and I care for the people down low and the people up top. I love this place. I love this country, but it is not my home. At the end of the day, America, like Rome of old, like Babylon of old, like Egypt, like Assyria, like the Incan Empire and the Aztec and the Mayan Empire, will be something talked about in the past tense. But the kingdom of God is forever. If you build your home in something that is passing away, you yourself will be passing away. But if you build your home in heaven, it is forever. Your priorities will shift. Right? From being ethnocentric or country-centric, Americocentric, I don't know, I'm making these centrics up. From being these things to being kingdom-centered, kingdom-minded. That is my home. And see, when I neglect the homeless, in a sense what I'm communicating is that I'm perfectly at home. I don't understand my state. I don't understand that I was homeless and Jesus came and he brought me in. But he did that for me. See, when you neglect the, the homeless, finally, you fail to proclaim a good kingdom. Ultimately, that's what this is about. We don't, we don't give shelter to the homeless just for giving shelter to the homeless' sake. Right? We don't want to put a roof over somebody's head and, and have them die and have no home. We put a roof over somebody's head because we say, here is shelter, but there is a home for you. Or even if the shelter burns down or collapses or there's some sort of financial crisis and we all find ourselves with no roof over our head, we can say we are not homeless. We happen to be without shelter because God is our king and heaven is our home. There's hope in that. And that, that message is lost if we do not care, if we do not act on behalf of the homeless. In the same way that we said hungry people can't hear the gospel. They can't. You can preach it, but all they can hear is the, you, you cannot hear the gospel over the rumbling of your stomach. And in the same way, until we provide shelter for people, right? Like I walked past the other week, I walked past a group of men who were outside playing cards, clearly like without shelter. And I, I'll invite them to church. They're really polite uh, to my face. Like, you know, no, that's all right. As I walked off, like, and I, I kind of knew the stupidity of it. But then I heard them laughing, right? And of course they're laughing. Like this dude doesn't care about us. Like he just saw us and he wants us to come to his thing. Right? And why would they think any different? Why would they think any different? You earn the right to preach the gospel to people by caring for them, by showing them the kingdom. Neglecting to do that 
Church, if we, if we don't do that, like we, we will fail. Even if we grow, we'll grow in a very homogenous way. We'll grow with people who have lots of funds and who come to the city for three years for some special project, and they want to go to a cool, newish church, a gentrifying church, and they'll come, and we'll, we'll eventually we'll fill seats, and those seats will be filled week in and week out. And, and even when people aren't here, it won't feel like, hey, where did everybody go, right? We can do that. We can build that church. We can fill seats. But we'll fail, we'll fail to proclaim your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, we, we're in this together. This is the call. And a lot's at stake. Because what does Jesus say? Like, I should have even started with this. This isn't in my notes, but it should have been. It should have started with this. There's a lot at stake. This isn't like some passing conversation where Jesus is like, you know, it's actually pretty, pretty good to care for the stranger and to give food to the hungry. That's not the picture Jesus paints. Right? The picture is when? Judgment day. There's a judgment. There's a lot at stake here. There's heaven and hell at stake here. There's, there's with God and without God at stake here. There's a lot at stake here. And Jesus says with the highest stakes, God will say, depart from me. I did not know you. Let that not be us. Let us have faith that the God who has given us a home will equip us to provide shelter and to proclaim home to the homeless. All right? Let's do that. Let's pray.